Hey, good morning, guys. Man, it is so good to be with you guys. I, uh, like, like Tim has already said, I have known Tim and Patty and their family since 2010. Uh, we met doing different ministries. And uh, man, there, there are some pastors that the more you get to know them, the less you like them. And Tim is, is the opposite. The more you get to know him and his family, the more we just fell in love. And Patty was a massive influence on my wife at a strategic time where we were lonely and we needed help and we didn't know what we were doing. And so Patty, as a, as a woman slightly older than my wife, just poured into to her. And, uh, and then Tim did the same for me. So I, I owe this family a lot. I love you guys like crazy. Um, hey, if you're, if you're here and you're not, maybe you're hearing the songs that we're singing and you're, you know, stumbling into church, not really sure what you think about the Bible or Christianity, or you've got questions, I just want to say, like, this is a church that I would trust uh, for you to be able to process your claims around Christianity and around the gospel. Um, that I don't think they'll do anything to embarrass you, to make you feel weird. Th- these are leaders that are trustworthy. They're good people. And this is a really good church. So I just, I want to just hold them out to you and say, man, if you're here, this is not a place where you have to like check your brain in at the door or check your story in at the door and try to pretend to be something else. Like come as you are and jump in. And I think this is a place where you can really wrestle with, with what Jesus has to offer. So I, I, I'm from Oklahoma City and my wife and I've been there our whole lives. I've never lived anywhere outside of about 30 minutes of where I was born. And, uh, and I, I want to apologize to you in advance for bringing all the heat waves from Oklahoma to Iowa. Everyone's been like, oh, it was way nicer last week, and it's going to be way nicer when you leave next week. So that's my fault. Sorry about that. Uh, but man, we, uh, we love our city. And the way that Tim and I have kind of been able to do ministry together, we were on staff at the same church for a long time. And then when Frontline Church planted or sent out Tim, and Tim came and planted Sacred Mission, man, like we've been uh, as a church very regularly showing pictures of you guys and, and, and the people back home, they don't know you, they've never met you, but every time we talk about what God's doing here, every time we talk about people that have met Jesus or all the stuff that's happening, like they're cheering and they're celebrating and they just have this big love for you and I do too. And so it's like, I, I don't know you at all, but I love this church. It's kind of like when you love someone a lot and the person that you love introduces you to someone that they love and you're like, by proxy, I just love these people too. Well, that's how I feel about you guys and I just wanna say thank you for hosting us so well and letting us come and hang out. Um, I hope today what we look at in scripture will help you. So here's what I'd love for you to do. If you have a Bible, go ahead and go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Now, I want to confess that this is a little bit of a weirder sermon for me to preach because what I love to do, my preference, is to take books of the Bible and just work our way through the books, slowly work our way through chapter by chapter. And and I know that's what you guys do as a church. You've been in Genesis working your way through Genesis. Today's going to be a little bit different because we're we're going to kind of give an overview of one idea, an idea of this, this idea of the blessing of God, right? As opposed to the curse that has been unleashed in our world. So I want to try to give you just an overview of this idea. And rather than just camping in one text, we're going to give a few different passages. And again, this isn't normal. This isn't the way we normally would do things. Today's a little bit different. But the anchor text is here in Galatians chapter 3. So I want to read this and then I'll pray and we'll, we'll, we'll jump in. We'll get after it. Here's what it says in Galatians 3 verse 13. The apostle Paul writes these words. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for these leaders. Um, the, the amount of suffering that's happened over the last couple of years, the amount of amazing stories that have happened over the last couple of years. God, we just hold it all out to you today. And wherever we find ourselves, we pray that you would meet us with your presence. Father, would you, would you pour out uh, the Holy Spirit on, on us as we open up your word? Would you take scripture and would you make it known to us in ways that are new and ways that invite us into deeper repentance, deeper trust, f- new ways to live with you? And, and God, I pray, I pray that you would create a culture of blessing here at Sacred Mission Church. So come and move, meet us. And I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So uh, I grew up in a, in a really big family. I'm one of 10. I've got uh, two older sisters, five younger brothers, and two younger sisters. And so my, my childhood was wild and chaotic and fun. And we lived on an acreage. We lived on 10 acres that was divided in half with my family and my grandma and grandpa. So they lived right next door to us. And I loved my grandparents, man. They were like the best grandparents ever. So there was a well-worn dirt path from my house to their house because about every day I would spend my time over there. I was homeschooled for the first half of my life and then kind of thrown into public school the second half of my life. And so I spent a lot of time during those homeschool years with my grandparents. And my grandpa was sort of like this larger-than-life character. He was a a principal at a local high school there. He was well-loved and well-known by a lot of people in our town. He was just a, a really funny guy, uh, had, had a military background, retired from that, and then basically, like, the, as long as I knew him, he was retired. So basically what he did all day was he would wear flip-flops, a bathing suit, an untucked button-up shirt. He would never tuck it in. If he was wearing a shirt at all, it was an untucked button-up shirt, and then he had a cigar in his mouth. And that was my grandpa. And, and I would spend this, all this time with this man, and he would just tell stories, and I loved this guy. He was amazing. One day, we were hanging out, and he, uh, I don't even know how this came about in our conversation, but some really simple math question came up in our conversation and he threw it out and he was like, hey, Andrew, answer this math equation. And it, I think it was like a simple multiplication question. Now I'm, I'm like really bad at math to this day. That's partly why I'm a pastor is because I, I can't do anything with math. And so I, I'm really bad at math and I get nervous when he asks me this question and I throw out an answer and I'm like, I know this is wrong. I'm just guessing at this point. I throw out an answer and he's like, no, that's not it. And so then he asks me again and I try to take a guess and I throw out an answer and I get it wrong. And then, I, then he keeps doing this. So this happens a few more times where he's like, hey, Andrew. And he's starting to build in his intensity. And he's like, what is, and I, it's, it's something simple, like seven times four or something. And I'm like, uh, little kid, I don't know, probably seven years old. And I completely freeze. And all of a sudden my grandpa, which this is very uncharacteristic for him, he gets really intense with me. And I can tell like he's bothered. And I'd already started to pick up on the fact that he was a little bit frustrated that we were homeschooled in the first place because he was a principal of a high school and had a fairly low view of homeschooling. And I think he was nervous about our education at the time. And so I can tell he's getting really intense and really frustrated. And then he says these words to me. I'll never forget. He says, what? Are you stupid? If you don't learn how to do basic math, 
you will grow up and never amount to anything. And I remember as this little kid, like the second he said it, it's like those words went deep inside of my heart and they made a home there. And, and, I, and I remember this, this fear of just wanting to run out of his house, get out of, out of his presence. And this was very unlike him. But those words all of a sudden, I remember making a commitment to myself in that moment as a little kid, I will never, ever, ever allow myself to feel stupid ever again. I'll never allow myself to feel that small and that stupid ever again. He, he said something that functioned like a curse in my life that ended up affecting years and years and years of how I would go on to live. So here's what we're talking about today. We're talking about what it looks like to create a culture of blessing. We're talking about blessing versus cursing and how we as the people of God can interact with this. But here's what's wild. When we say this, we just have to pause and acknowledge that these words, blessing and cursing, are a little bit strange to our culture. We don't talk about these words. We don't walk around talking about, oh, that person you know, really blessed me or that person really cursed me. It's not language that we use unless we're reading books like Harry Potter or watching Lord of the Rings or interacting with you know, stuff about witches. We don't use the language of curses hardly at all. It's just not something as a culture that we use. And blessing for us has sort of been reduced to what we say if you sneeze or something that you can find on a Hallmark card. We don't really have this good, robust theology of blessing. And yet, Paul picks up on these two words, and in Galatians, which is sort of like his defense against legalism, like this idea that you could climb a ladder to get to God by your good works. Uh, Galatians functions as like his defense against legalism, and he picks up these two words of blessing and of cursing. And what I would want you to see, and this is hopefully what you'll see today, is that if you don't understand what Scripture has to say about blessing and what it has to say about cursing, then you're actually missing one of the most significant storylines, one of the key golden threads throughout the entire Bible. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask the question, what is the biblical concept of blessing? And why is it that we crave it so badly? Why do we need it so badly? And, and, and how do we get it, right? How do we get this idea of blessing? And, and how do we become people who end up blessing those in our presence? So that's where we're headed. Here's the first thing I want you to see is this biblical concept of blessing. Now, the New Testament's going to use two words for blessing. The first one is a word, makarios, which simply just means to be happy or to, 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 have, to have this fortunate life. And it's not like happiness in a trite way. Uh, it's like happiness in the most robust, beautiful, powerful way. Like those moments when all is right in your world and you, you would say, I'm blessed, I'm happy right? The, the other word that the New Testament's going to use is this word eulogia, and it's where we get our, our English word for eulogy. So imagine you go to a funeral and someone stands up and they give a eulogy. Well, what that person is doing in that moment is they're speaking a good word about that person. That's what the word eulogy means or eulogia means. It's like speaking a good word over someone. And here's what's tragic about our culture is that we've almost gotten to the place to where the only time that we will write out on paper a thoughtful, good word over a person's life is when they can't even hear it anymore. We'll only say a blessing over their life when it's too late for them to hear it. So here's what it means to bless. To bless means that you and I are speaking God's favor and his heart over the lives of other people. We are, we are talking about God's good intentions for their 
life. I, I love the words of Dallas Willard. He says, blessing is the projection of good into the life of another. I want you to imagine this for a minute. Imagine that someone that you love and admire grabs you by the shoulders and they're like, hey, I've got some good that I want to project into your life. I've got some good that I see in you. I've got some some gospel truths about you that I want to name and I want to point out. There's some things about you that I want to celebrate and I'm going to grab you by the shoulders. I'm going to take this good that I have and I'm going to implant it into you. That's what it means to bless someone. And can you imagine just how significant it would be if someone significant in your life came and did that for you? There's a sense in which all of us crave blessing. Why is that? Why do we crave this reality so much to have someone that we respect and love and admire tell us who we really are and tell us what they see about us and speak God's heart over us and speak his intentions over our lives. Well, well, here's why we crave blessing. You guys as a church right now are going through the book of Genesis. Genesis sort of functions like our origin story, doesn't it? Like the, the way that this thing all got started, our origin story. And if you remember something in Genesis chapter one that happens, it's absolutely significant, but gets easily overlooked. It's in verse 27. And let me just read it to you. This is the very first thing that humanity would have heard God say. So think about that. The very first thing that God said to humanity. Here's what it says in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And look at this. And God blessed them. Now, we tend to read that as like God waving like a magic wand over them. Like, bring, you're now blessed. But I think it's more than that. I think that what's happening here is that God is actually saying something. He's blessing them with his words. He's blessing them. And it goes on to say this, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Friends, the story of the Bible starts with God blessing humanity. Or another way to say it, that the way that you and I are hardwired as humans, what it, what it means to be human is functionally to be people who hear and experience the blessing of our Heavenly Father. That's what it means to be a human. You were created for blessing. And in fact, the idea here is that everything you would do from this point on, the work that you would do, the job that you would take on, the way that you would interact with marriage or singleness or parenting or whatever, everything that you would do would actually be flowing from the blessing of God not trying to earn the blessing of God. Do you see the difference? This is fundamentally what it means to be human. You and I were, were created to experience the blessing of God. And this was our reality, but you know the story, it, and unfortunately doesn't last that long, right? Then we read in Genesis 3 about the curse being unleashed. Instead of Adam and Eve living underneath the blessing of God, what they did sadly was that they rejected God. They rebelled against God. They chose their own way forward. They were like, no, we, we, we don't want you as God. We want to be our own gods, and we want to define what is good and evil for ourselves. And what Adam and Eve did functionally by sinning in that way was actually to unleash chaos and dysfunction and the curse into the world. And the same lie has been true ever since that the enemy gave them, the enemy gives us today. It's like, the, the lie goes like this. Hey, you can be your own God. 
And actually, you can, you can define what is right and wrong for yourself. And you don't need God. God's holding out on you. And actually, you can, you can run away from him and find life. And there will be no consequences if you do this. But actually, we know that this is not the story. Instead of the world being one where the blessing of God was overflowing and, and covering the earth like the waters would cover the sea, instead what happens is the curse is unleashed on the world. And let me just define the curse for you like this. The curse is what happens when we reject and resist God's good intentions for our lives, and it results in his disfavor and displeasure and in our own dysfunction and destruction. Adam and Eve remove themselves from the blessing of God, and as a result, they're living inside of the curse, and it's creating all kinds of havoc and evil and dysfunction in our world, in our relationships with each other, with God. And here's what is so crazy and what's so sad is that our world now is actually marked more by the curse than it is by anything else. It's marked, this is why, this is why nations get into wars with each other. This is why families break down. This is why marriages fall apart. This is why people experience all kinds of havoc and evil in their lives. It's because of the curse. And so all of us, whether you're a Christian or not, you feel this reality, don't you? Of like, man, something has gone wrong in our world. And, 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 and we know it's not supposed to be this way. We know that we were created for something better, for something more beautiful, for something like blessing. But that's not our felt experience. What do we do? How, how does this affect the way that you and I live? Well, here's what's really crazy about the curse is the curse is going to play itself out in a thousand different ways in our world. But let me just give you three ways that the curse commonly plays itself out in your life and in mine. The first is with this idea of generational sin. Generational sin. Uh, in Exodus 34, God reveals himself to the people of Israel, but he says something about himself that I want you to notice. Here's what he says in Exodus 34. He says, the, the Lord passed before Moses, and he proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. But notice what he says. He says, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, this passage is not teaching that you are morally accountable for what your dad did or for what your grandma did, or for what somebody else in your family lineage did. You are not morally accountable for their personal sin choices. But what this passage is teaching is that their sin choices have a real effect on your life. And you know this, don't you? Like, if you had a dad who was an alcoholic, and he drank all the time, and was either, like, abusive physically, or just not present emotionally, or whatever, you know that that, as you grow up, has an effect on the way that you live. If, if uh, something happened with your grandpa and he was horrible in the family or whatever, you know that that has an effect on how you live. That's what this passage is teaching, is that in real ways, even, even our own sinful tendencies can be affected by family systems and how grandma or grandpa was or whatever. It's wild. That's what this passage is teaching. teaching. You're saying like the curse affects itself in generational sin. The second way that the curse plays itself out in our world is in our own personal sin. Now, you're in the process of reading a story about Jacob and his relationship with Esau in Genesis, but there's something that Hebrews tells us about Esau that I want you to notice. Here's what it says in Hebrews 12. It says, see to it that no one 
fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau and you remember the story from Genesis who sold his birthright for a single meal for you know that afterward when he desired to inherit what's the word the blessing he was rejected for he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears what this passage is teaching is that Esau, he, he basically removed himself from the blessing by his own personal sin choices. He couldn't point the finger at Abraham or at Jacob or whoever. Like at the end of the day, Esau made decisions that affected the way that the curse played out in his life. Now, this passage is not teaching that Esau was trying to repent but then couldn't repent because God would let him repent. It says that he was actually seeking the blessing with tears but he, he didn't repent, and that's why he couldn't get it, though he sought after it with tears. So this is like, even in our own life, in my own life, in ways that I can't blame shift on anybody else, the curse has played itself out in real ways with my own personal choices. The third way, and this is the way I want you to consider most of all, is that actually the curse of sin can play itself out with our words in profound ways. Curses that are spoken over us by others, or curses that you and I speak over the lives of other people. There's a lot of ways that sin manifests itself in our world, but one of the ways that is not considered very much in church is the ways that your words and my words can actually be functional curses over the lives of other people. Statements like, hey, you're fat, or you're ugly, or you're worthless, or you're a loser, or you're incompetent, or you're never going to amount to anything. Words like this that have a way of making their home inside of our heart and affecting the way that you and I live. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I heard that comment growing up all the time, like sticks and stones may, may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's like that is the most out of touch, out of reality statement that anybody could ever make because we know that words have a profound effect on your life and on my life. And in fact, what scripture is going to teach us is that life and death are in the tongue. Life and death are in the tongue. Now, this is not some weird like prosperity gospel, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it type theology, you know, or, you know, if I want a BMW, life and death are in my tongue. BMWs, please. Like it doesn't work that way. I've tried. Doesn't work. Totally unhelpful, right? So this is not what it's saying when it talks about life and death are in the power of your tongue. What is it saying? Well, notice what James, the brother of Jesus, is going to say about the tongue in James 3. And this passage, honestly, this passage haunts me a little bit. Because if, if James could be more clear about how damaging the tongue is, I don't know how he could be more clear. Here's what he says. He says, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. We know that that forest fires can burn down whole crops just by one little fire, one little spark, one little cigarette thrown out the window. And the tongue, he says, the tongue is a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. My gosh, James, tell us how you really feel about the tongue, right? It's like, Fire, 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 hell, ah, you know, like the, James is like really trying to drive his point home here. He goes on to say, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed. We know this. 
and has been tamed by mankind, go to any zoo, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, I want you to notice this line. This is key. He says, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. See, what he's doing is taking this idea of the curse and he's saying that we can actually use our tongue to bless or to curse. I I love these words of the author John Ortberg. He says, I used to think that cursing someone meant swearing at them or putting a hex on them. So it was pretty easy to avoid because I didn't swear too much or do hexes. But I realized how wrong I had been. You can curse someone with an eyebrow. You can curse someone with a shrugged shoulder. I've seen a husband curse a wife by leaving just the tiniest delay before saying, of course I love you. The better you know someone, the more subtly and cruelly you can curse them. Now, this is really weighty, I know, but I want you to think about this. There's a pastor named John Tyson who pointed out four different things that can happen when someone uses their tongue or uses their behavior or their words or lack of their words to bring a curse into your life. He says the first thing that happens is it wounds us. It wounds us. It hurts us, right? It's not true that words will never hurt me. They do. They, they penetrate. They're, it's like that fire of hell that James talked about. They make an impact on us. And what happens is we get wounded by these sinful things that people say or do against us. And it usually can be in our most formative years. But this could happen today, right now. The second thing that happens as a result is that we start to believe lies about ourselves based on these wounds that we've received, right? Uh, we start to believe these words that are said. When my grandpa said what he said, I, I remember thinking, yeah, this confirms my internal fear. I actually am really stupid. I actually am really dumb, and I need to fix that because I am stupid. And then what happens over time is that we then instruct or we, we, we enact and build and construct idols so that we can look to these idols to numb the pain that we feel about the, these lies that we believe ourselves due to the wounds that you and I have received. And then these idols over time, the fourth thing, leads to addictions, where because we know idols don't satisfy, we have to go back to them again and again and again and again. And then all of a sudden, even the good things in our world, like for me, trying to be smart can become an idol that never satisfies and is always something that I'm going to for significance and identity and meaning. Do you see how this can work itself out? There's a story that he went on to share about a successful and and really beautiful Christian woman who ended up having a moral failure. So here's the story. He said that this woman, a friend of his, started a Christian nonprofit that ended up being wildly successful. And she kind of had this like, she went from being a nobody to having like this meteoric rise and success and was traveling around the world and, you know, teaching at these conferences and sharing with people. And then all of a sudden, she found herself experiencing incredible moral failure. She, she was having a, a moral failure of a sexual nature and all of that ended up getting exposed and everything that this woman had built, this nonprofit, her whole persona, everything, just came crashing down all around her, came crashing down all around her. And so this pastor, he was asking her, he said, tell me about this because this isn't the you that I know. How did you live such a secret lifestyle when you were this like well-known Christian woman, but then behind the scenes you were this? 
And here's what she said. Here's what she said. She said, growing up, my dad would always tell me all of the time, you're ugly, you're ugly, you're ugly. My whole life, I thought I was ugly. And throughout high school, I was really insecure. But when I got to college, I started to realize that I was getting disproportionate attention from men. I realized that I had a great body and I could manipulate men with my behavior and my looks. And then here's what she says. She said, I was trying to prove my dad wrong. Look, men do want me. Men are attracted to me. You are wrong. So she starts this nonprofit. She has this rise in success, has the moral failure. And then she says this. She says, I guess my dad's voice was still the loudest voice in my head. Wounded as a little girl, she believed a lie, created an idol out of being attractive, which led her into this addiction to sexual sin as an attempt to achieve the blessing that she was craving. Now, friends, if you paused for a minute, you could take that story, you could change the details, and you could put in your story or my story of things that people have said or done or not said or not done that have had formative effects on your life. And James chapter three has a category for this called cursing. You've been cursed and I've been cursed. And I know this is heavy and I know this is hard to hear, but this is real. The curse is in this room. The curse has impacted us. It's affected us not just in the sense that I've sinned against against a most holy God first and foremost because we have, but the way that that sin then plays itself out in our world can be absolutely devastating and tragic. So what do we do? Well, there is good news here. And the good news is exactly what we started with. And I want you to realize that Jesus came into the world precisely to redeem us and to bless us. I love the storyline of scripture because as soon as the curse of sin is unleashed on the world, guess what God is busy doing? He, he goes to work trying to unleash blessing on the world. So the curse of sin's unleashed and God's like, all right, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna counteract that with blessing. In fact, we read these words in Genesis 12 where God grabs this random guy named Abram, later changes his name to Abraham. And, and here's what God does. He says, I'm gonna make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The curse is being unleashed and God's like, now it's my turn. I'm gonna unleash blessing on the world. And there's this theme that continues throughout the Old Testament where God is so adamant to bring blessing to his people that he even created and designed a a blessing that the people of Israel would offer to each other again and again and again as a daily rhythm. Like imagine, we're gathering together on Sundays. When the people of Israel would gather together, they had a blessing from God that they were supposed to say over to each other. And here's what it is in Numbers. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his son saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Imagine if ever since you were a little kid, all you heard as you gathered with the people of God was the blessing of God over your life. 
again and again and again. And friends, this is ultimately why Jesus steps off his throne, takes off his crown, and enters into our world as a human being, staying God, but taking on our humanity. And we read these words in Galatians chapter 3, the words that we started with. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did he do it? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Friends, on the cross, Jesus took the curse from us, both the curse of our sin against God and the curses of our sin against other people. Jesus bore those curses, the curse in his body on the tree. He died the death that we deserve to die so that you and I could receive the blessing of God instead of the curse. That's amazing news. That God is so committed to bringing blessing that he took the curse on himself so that he could unleash redemption and blessing on our lives. And I love it because if you keep reading through the New Testament, this theme of blessing continues. You get to Ephesians chapter one and you read the word blessed so many times. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's blessed us in Christ with what? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And he keeps going on and on writing about these blessings. And, and, and this story continues. I love it. There, there, there's, a, there's a great commission story. Do you know what I mean when I say great commission? That moment when Jesus had died and risen from the dead and is about to ascend back into heaven with his father. There's a great commission story that often gets overlooked. It's one of my favorite ones. Here's what it says in Luke 24. It says that Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, his disciples, and lifting up his hands, what did Jesus do? He blessed them, and while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And this is my favorite part. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. The very last words that the disciples would have heard from Jesus was him lifting up his hands and blessing them. And the funniest part about the story is that it says while he was being carried up, what was he doing? He was blessing them. Imagine that. He's like, I bless you. I bless you. I bless you. I bless you. You know, it's like he's the whole time. So he would have disappeared into heaven and they would have just heard the blessing of Jesus spoken over their lives. The, the, the story starts with blessing. And in a very real way, the story ends with blessing. You could summarize the entire ministry of Jesus as one of finding the curse and bringing blessing to the curse. He finds those who are sick because of the curse of sin. What does he do? He heals them and he blesses them. He finds those who are blind and, and, and blind, blindness is a part of the curse. He, he, he blesses them with healing. He comes to people who are not noticed, people who are under the judgment of God for their sin and he blesses them and he forgives them. And on and on and on, Jesus is always finding places where the curse is and he's putting his hand on it and he's bringing the blessing of God. So here's the question. Do you wanna be someone who unleashes dysfunction and the curse on the lives of other people? Or do you wanna be someone who experiences the blessing of God by grace? Who actually receives the free gift of God's forgiveness and his love and his blessing? And when we become people who receive the free gift of God's forgiveness and love through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it actually has an effect on us where we become people of blessing. It's not just that we are blessed 
But now we become those people who James says, we bless God and we bless other people, right? Again, John Orberg says, blessing and cursing are not compartmentalized Bible words at all. They are simply two ways that we treat people. They are inseparable as breathing in and breathing out. Everywhere you go, everything you do, everything you say could either be stacked on the side of blessing or could be stacked on the side of cursing. So here's what I'll do. I wanna close with this. What does it look like for you and I to create a culture of blessing? What would it look like for sacred mission to be a church that is known in the surrounding towns for being a church where people experience the blessing of God, not the curse of sin? What would that look like? Well, here's two ways. The first way is learning to bless through our speech. Remember the words of James about the power of the tongue. He says, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus, the only thing that should come out of your mouth is what? Blessing. There's no room in the believer's mouth for unleashing the curse of sin on other people with your words. The only thing that should come out of our mouth is blessing. Proverbs 12, 18 says this. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Have you ever been around a person that they use their tongue in such a way just to take jabs all the time? Like they're maybe like passive aggressive or cynical or constantly negative or whatever. Like you don't ever leave that person's presence going, oh, thank you, Jesus. I just, I feel so blessed. I feel so blessed. You're like, oh man, what is wrong? They're like, they're constantly cursing with her. They're constantly jabbing, constant. Man, what would it look like if you and I more and more and more as we received the love and forgiveness of Jesus? became people who offer that same type of blessing to other people and use our tongue to bring healing. What would that look like? Man, have you ever um, gotten so overwhelmed that someone really close to you, like a spouse or a child, you know them well enough to know how to like cut the legs out from underneath them with your words? I do this sometimes when I get really overwhelmed and flustered and exhausted and anxious, and sometimes I'll use my words in ways where I, I, have to, I have to tell my wife, hey, that was me at my worst. Now, please, please hear me. This is me at my best, you know, <laughs> sitting down with my kids. That was me at my worst. Let, let me try to g- give you myself at my best. Um, here's something that, you and, or that my, my family and I have started to do over the last few years is what we just call blessing ceremonies. And that might sound weird to you, but it's the best name that we could come up with. So if you have a better name, please tell me. I'd love to hear it. But we, we came up with these things called blessing ceremonies where at different times in our life, we'll sit someone down in our family or someone down in our life and we'll just bless them. We'll put them in a chair and we'll say, hey, we're gonna gather around. And just like you would at a funeral with a eulogy, we'll put that person in a chair and it's like, we're, we're gonna tailor make a, a eulogy for you right now. Hey, here's what we see God doing. And here's what, I mean, and it is amazing what happens when people have never experienced this. They just completely break down encountering the love of God in a really fresh way. Seriously, like maybe while I'm talking right now, the Lord is identifying somebody in your mind. The Spirit of God might be highlighting somebody in your mind that you need to do this for. Words that you've thought that are good, that they should hear. Things that you've, you've been celebrating internally and been talking about them in good ways behind their back. What would it look like to tell them? Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe even right now the Spirit of God is highlighting a person in your mind and you're like, man, I've cursed that person. 
I've unleashed dysfunction in their life with my words or my actions or withholding from them. What would it look like to actually like today move towards that? The second and final thing is we bless by noticing people. Large swaths of the ministry of Jesus, I would say a disproportionate amount of the ministry of Jesus is simply Jesus slowing down to notice the people that are in front of him. People that are often overlooked. In John 5, he noticed a paralyzed man who needed healing. Everybody else had overlooked him. In Luke 8, he notices a woman who is in desperate need of healing who touches him in a crowd of people. Crowd of people and he hones in on her. In Luke 9, he notices two blind men who everyone else is trying to say, hey, be quiet, be quiet. Jesus notices those two blind men. In Luke 19, he notices Zacchaeus who is doing what? He's hiding up in a tree. He doesn't want to be seen and yet he's seen by God. Jesus noticed the ones that everyone else tends to overlook. So I just want to invite you, like, what would it look like for you to notice the people in your life, your spouse, your kids, the, the grocery store person, the, the person at the gas station, whatever, like the person around you, what would it look like to slow down long enough to notice them and actually ask, hey, God, is there anyone, anything that you would want to say? to this person? Is there anything that you would want me to do right now for this person? There's the story of, of Bob Goff, who is kind of a wild, crazy, weird guy, not a pastor, but wrote a book called Love Does, and he's sort of given his life to try to be this way. And he was at a big conference speaking. I love this story. Uh, the, the limo driver, they sent a limo driver to come pick him up. So it's like this big, fancy hotel, beautiful limo. And he gets out, and the limo driver gets out and opens up the door for him. And Bob Goff's like, oh, my gosh, okay. Like, sits in the back of the limo. And he starts to engage the limo driver on the way to the conference that he's going to speak at. Thousands of people are at this conference. And he starts to engage the limo driver. He's like, hey, tell me about yourself. Tell me about you. And, and the guy starts opening up in conversation. And in the middle of the conversation, Bob Goff is like, hey, man, have, have you ever sat back in one of these? And he's like, no, I've never. I, I just drive it. You know, I don't know what you're talking about. I just, I'm the limo driver. And he's like, you've never sat back here? Pull over. Pull over real quick. So the guy, like, he's like, I don't think I'm allowed to do that. And he's like, no, no, trust me. I'm a lawyer, and I have a lot of money. I'll pay for whatever insurance weird thing you have. Like, pull over. Trust me. So the guy pulls over. And he says, give me your, get, get, out, get out of the car, get out of the car. So the guy gets out of the car, and he's like, give me your hat, give me your hat. So literally, like, Bob puts on his hat, gets in the front seat. The guy gets in the back seat. He drives this guy to the conference that he is supposed to speak at. He gets out, he opens up the door, and he's like celebrating him. He's like, man, this guy's the best limo driver. And he's not, pe pe he's not being patronizing. He's not like belittling. He's like genuinely celebrating that guy. And that guy just was like moved to tears at that moment. And here's my point. If you were to ask that guy, hey, what are Christians like? What are Christians like? He would be like, man, I don't know, but this, this guy, like, he, he, here's what he did for me. That's the way that people felt around Jesus. That's the, the way that Jesus has treated us. And friends, that's what Jesus is, is actually trying to work in us as his unique people in the world so that we can offer that to the other people that God has placed in our life. Amen? All right, hey, so here's what I want you to do. I'd love for you just to take a second and close your eyes. And I'd love for you to just ask yourself this question. Where do I need to repent? And where do I need to seek repair for unleashing curse, the curse of sin on other people? With my words, my behavior, my actions, the ways that I've withheld words. Where do I need to repent today? Where do I need to seek repair? Here's another one. Where do I need grace and help from God my Father 
to live a life of blessing? Where do I need grace and help? And as you think about those things, I'd love for you just to remember, and you can even look up here to have a visual reminder of what Jesus has done for us. Friends, when we were no one, when we were lost, when we were dead in sin, not even on our best day, like on our worst day, God the Father noticed us and loved us and moved towards us with his grace and blessing. When we were lost in sin, he came running after us. And Jesus, he lived the life that none of us could ever live as our righteousness, as the perfect one. And then Jesus went to the cross to forgive us and to to reconcile us back to God the Father. But friends, he also did that to reconcile us back to one another. And when Jesus died under the curse so that we could receive the blessing, his intentions were not just so that we could receive the blessing and then live out the rest of our days in private, personal isolation. Jesus did what he did so that we could also get God's heart inside of us, so that we could also walk and live in the way of Jesus in the world, so that the ways that people experience blessing from Jesus, it's like they're experiencing blessing from the body of Christ, his church. And what would it look like if sacred mission became this way for the surrounding towns and the people in this community and, and like no one could get past you because of how rigorous and, and adamant you were about being a people of blessing? How do we do that? We do it because we've received God's love and forgiveness and his blessing through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. So what I want you to do is when you're ready to come and receive communion today, grab the bread, grab the cup, and I want you to take this back to your seat. We're gonna take this all together. And as we take it together, I want you to remember, man, I've been loved and blessed by God, and now he's freed me up to be a people, to be a person of blessing, amen? When you're ready, you can come and receive if you're a follower of Jesus. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, it's such an honor to have you a part of this church. We're gonna ask you to not come and take this meal because this is a meal just for Christians, but we would love to stay later and talk with you about what it looks like to put your faith in Christ, okay? So followers of Jesus, when you're ready, come and receive the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus broken and shed for you, and we'll take this together in a minute.